Hi, this is Adam Carolla. I want to thank you for supporting this podcast on the Corolla Digital Network. Everyone here at Corolla Digital is very proud of the shows that we put out every week and are excited about the future of our network. However, a patent troll is threatening that future by suing us. We need to fight back and beat the troll down. If we go down, all the other shows on the other networks you've grown to love are going to go down next. Visit fundanything.com forward slash patent troll to donate and find out other ways that you can help beat the patent trolls. Thank you and mahalo. This is Corolla Digital. Hey, you guys, it's me, Allison. I just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing, which, let's face it, you do, tell a friend. You can listen to us all sorts of places. A couple of them would be iTunes or AllisonRosen.com. Hello, my little vanilla sandwich cookies. It's me, Allison. Welcome to another exciting episode of Allison Rosen is Junior Best Friend with my guest, Brody Stevens, before the show officially starts. We have time for me to talk to you about some things. For example, the No-No Pro. It's getting hot. It's really hot. It's not even getting hot. It is hot as hell. When you hear this, I will have, I'll be back, but I have just been in 110 degree weather. I possibly melted. Thank God I'm fairly sleek and hairless, you know, except for not. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is you probably need a way to remove some hair. Let's face it. You look a little stubbly. And uh, that's not a good look. And I would recommend the No-No Pro. I, for one, love the No-No Pro because it is absolutely painless. It's a little portable device. You just glide it along your skin. It removes the hair. The more you use it, the less you need to use it. Um, it does not hurt. It is not messy. It's unlike waxing or laser hair removal where it's inconvenient. No, No-No Pro uh, is awesome. And it is up to 35% stronger than before. So you can use it on coarse hair. It's, it, men and women can use it all hair colors. Uh, all skin types, and it's perfect for removing peach fuzz from your face. Or, like I said, you can you know you can use it on coarser hair as well. And so, there's an exclusive offer for you guys, my listeners. And here's what you get: you get the Nono Pro device, you get an exclusive facial kit, you get a travel case, which is very snazzy. If you order online, you get a free gift card, and the entire purchase is backed by Nono's triple guarantee. If you're not 100% satisfied, they'll refund the purchase price, refund the shipping, and even pay for you to ship it back to them. You don't risk a penny to try no-no today. Call for details. Terms and conditions may apply. And to get this special exclusive offer um, for you guys, my listeners, here's what you do. Write this down. Go to nonoprobestfriend.com or call 800-336-1665. Again, that's nonoprobestfriend.com or call 800-336-1665. Okay. Gary, I think we have an iTunes comment of the week. Allison wants your iTunes comments. Allison wants them. Yes, she does. Please leave her some iTunes comments and don't forget to click five stars. All right, this week's iTunes comment of the week comes to us from Jason Wonderful, and it is titled, Thank You. Hey, guys, I haven't written in for a while, and this is a bit overdue, but I wanted to say thank you. I've been going through a tough time lately, and the Thursday show has been a much-needed distraction for me. I've gone back and re-listened to all the past shows two or three times, and having you guys to lean on has gotten me through more than a couple bad days. Thank you so much for helping me escape my own thoughts for a little while. I love you guys very much. Jason. Thank you so much, Jason. Um, I love hearing that the show is helping people go through rough times and rough patches and whatnot. That means a lot to me. So, yay. Um, thank you for writing in. And if you would like your iTunes comment to be an iTunes comment of the week, leave us a nice comment. Click five stars. It's our favorite number. And uh, maybe we'll read your comment on the show. Okay. Also, I want to tell you guys 
Going to Costco or Sam's Club can be so frustrating. Long lines, giant carts banging into you trying to find a parking spot. Just a time waster. That's why you guys need Boxed.com. That's B-O-X-E-D.com. It helps alleviate all those issues because you can do all your wholesale shopping from your mobile device. No dealing with all those hassles. In the real world, you can do them right right in your home on your mobile device. No membership fees. All the shipping is free for orders above $60. And Boxed.com has hundreds of products similar to Costco or Sam's Club. Save yourself from the embarrassment of turning around a ginormous thing of toilet paper. Because I know that's what you're buying. It's, I mean, it's what I'm buying. Uh, if you enter the promo code ADAM, yes, ADAM, on the checkout screen, you'll receive 15% discount off of your first order. So stop paying retail, save yourself a headache and a backache. Use Boxed.com. They bring the big box club experience to you. Remember, enter the promo code ADAM on the checkout screen for your 15% discount. Also, another wonderful thing that ships right to your door, BarkBox. I think I've talked to you guys about this. My dog, Oliver, loves this. Um, BarkBox ships a monthly box of four to six full-size products. So and everything from innovative toys and gadgets, all-natural single-ingredient treats, and more. Uh, and Oliver just got his latest shipment of BarkBox, and he's going nuts for it. And it's really it's really cool stuff. Like, sometimes it's, it's all it's, – it's just a variety of stuff. Sometimes there's kind of a theme uh, in the box that we just got, it sort of has a Parisian theme. So there's um, a, a toy in the shape of an Eiffel Tower and a toy in the shape of a bone. In it's got like a Paris print on it. And he loves the toys. And then there's treats in there, with chicken cord on blue treats, <laughs> and these uh, Parisian style dog cookies. And um, it's it's fun for me, and it, he especially loves it. Uh, and here's the thing about all the stuff that BarkBox includes in the crate. It's all from small independent vendors. You won't find this stuff in stores. And it is all tested on the dogs, the employees' dogs that hang out around the office. It's like a, it's like dog focus group. doesn't get better than that. So you guys can sign up at BarkBox.com slash best friend. That's BarkBox.com slash best friend. And 10% of all proceeds go back to helping out dogs in a growing network of um, shelters and and dog loving partners and all that. Um, last year, BarkBox donated over 150,000 to shelters, and in 2014, their goal is to donate one million. And then, finally, one more thing, and then Stephen Brody Stevens will be in your ears. Loot crate. This is another. It's like a theme to this. It's another thing that you just sit at home and it arrives and you'll be so excited. It's a monthly subscription box service for epic geek and gamer items and pop culture gear. Uh, For less than $20 a month, you get six to eight items that include licensed gear, apparel, collectibles, unique one-of-a-kind items, and more. Loot Crate is like a friend who knows what you love and surprises you with an awesome present every month. You have until the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe to receive that month's crate. And when the cutoff happens, that's it. It's over. Loot Crate guarantees $40 plus in value in every crate. Sometimes it's a lot more. And here's the what I think is the coolest part. Each month, uh, there's a different theme, and all the items are curated around that theme. And all the themes are inspired by major motion uh, movies and major motion movies, major movies and video game releases, as well as pop culture franchises that everyone knows and loves. So, previous crates have included items from franchises like Star Wars, Marvel, The Walking Dead, Legend of Zelda, and many more. Note tune in to my show on Thursday to hear someone who would die 
in a good way if he received the Star Wars crate. I know someone who this is perfect for. I'm sure you guys know people that this this is perfect for as well. Maybe it's you. It's probably you. So make sure to head to lootcrate.com slash bestfriend and enter the code bestfriend to save 10% on any new subscription. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash bestfriend and enter the code bestfriend to save 10% on any new subscription. Okay, I have talked in your ears enough. Get ready for me to talk in your ears more with Brody Stevens. Um, Brody is great. I love him. And you'll hear that we talked about the fact that I was going to be on At Midnight. As I say this now, I have been on At Midnight, and it was really cool to have him be there um, just making me and everyone there feel welcome. He's pretty amazing at what he does. So get ready to hear uh, some Brody Stevens. I love you guys. Thank you much. Thank you so much for listening. Here's the episode. Allison Rosen, Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Allison, Allison, with perfect good times never end. Allison Rosen, doing the way you can dance again. Allison Rosen, Allison's your new best friend. Hey everyone, hi, hello, it is me, Allison Rosen, and I am sitting here with Brody Stevens. Hello. Hello, Allison. Hello, Brody. Yes. I love it. Did it seem like I was speaking in a cadence out of the gate? Yeah, I feel like you're starting, well, I feel like you started strong just with your mic check. My mic check. You know, a lot of times when I do these, I'm up and then I can pull down and be conversational. You read the temperature of the room, right? Yeah, that's your thing. I, I'm good at reading the temperature, but or taking the temperature, taking the t- or reading it. But it does take me a little bit to settle in. I can't say I instantly shift to the the climate of the room. It takes me a little bit to get right. In there. Right. Well, do you consider yourself like? Are you like a nimble dinghy, or are you like a giant barge? I would say I'm like a nimble. Barge. I'm big, powerful, but I can move around. I get it. I have experience. I've worked in the on the docks Mm -hmm. for a while. I understand. You know, I've been through a lot. Right. A lot of rough weather. You have been through a lot of rough weather, actually, haven't you? A fair amount. I, I, I yeah. I mean, who hasn't? Young people, perhaps, or people who are in denial of the storms. Yeah, well, or they don't they don't see him coming. I mean, I was in rough weather if you want to go back to my my turbulent time a few years ago. I went off my meds. Mm-hmm. And it's been well documented. Yeah, in fact, I am sort of I'm at a bit of a crossroads because I know that your story is is well documented like you said and it's out there. Of course, I know that I also have listeners who probably don't know the whole story so maybe let's give like sort of a brief overview i'll give a brief overview okay. hi everybody i'm Stephen brody <laughs> stevens i am a comedian an audience warm-up an all-around good guy and about a long time ago my friend zach zach alfanakis said let's think about doing a tv show put that in my ear long time ago and then when I was kind of burnt out and done doing audience warm-up for TV shows, warming up the crowds, we said, let's go ahead and, and make a pilot. I think we can pitch this and get it sold at least to make a pilot. So we made a pilot for HBO, and it was about me going to the next level, getting out of audience warm-up, 
going on the road, auditioning, what have you, and then dealing with my sister, my family issues, which were not any, you know, fairly typical. So, and throwing some comedy in there. So the show was all set. We did the we did the uh, the pilot. My sister and I reconciled for my mom's 80th birthday. You get an idea who I am. And out of that, the 15-minute pilot, HBO, said, why don't you make five more? It was HBO Go, but we didn't know at the time where it was going to end up. Mm-hmm. So I had a couple, three months off between the pilot and shooting the rest of the uh, episodes. And I was feeling pretty good. And I felt as though, you know what, maybe I don't need this Lexapro. I was taking 20 milligrams, which, which is a therapeutic common dose, especially here in Los Angeles, just to take the edge off and not feel the stresses of being hard on myself, the physical, you know, when you're, when you have idle time, when you're a comedian, you have a lot of downtime, you have, you've got these thoughts and you're staring in the mirror and you're hard on yourself and your mind's always going. And I felt that. This Lexapro, Selexa earlier, the earlier form, just helped me with that. So no shame, but I wanted to kind of drink a little bit and, you know, be a little more active. I felt like the, the Lexapro not wasn't holding me back, but didn't allow me to drink. I was making What sure happens that, if you drink on it? Uh, you can get drunk very quick uh. and nauseous. It's like after two beers, my head would be spinning and I would throw up and... I didn't like that feeling. I wanted to be social, and I also felt like I needed a little little more energy. It can tire you out a little bit. So I, I started not with my doctors. I didn't check in with my general practitioner, and I wasn't seeing a psychiatrist or a psychologist at that point. Feeling good, working, all that. So I started to kind of go down on my own. And I probably went too fast. Did you were you tapering off? It was tapering. And I was probably going too fast, and I was in Dublin, Ireland. Things were going well, drinking, you know, tapering. Then I went straight to Montreal and tapering, and then I got hit with the flu, and they gave me an antibiotic, and I started feeling better again. I said maybe the Lexapro's all out of my system, and then I just kept ramping up all the while thinking about, okay, I'm shooting a show. It's going to be comedy. I'm hosting TMZ. They asked me to host. All these things were Ramping happening. up emotionally, you mean? Ramping up, yeah. Getting excited, like just feeling like I'm going to put all this comedy energy into this show. The same thing I do with warm-up. The same thing I do at the comedy store. The same thing I do, whatever I've been doing my whole life, comedically. I felt like I wanted to put that in the show. And then when I went off the meds, I just didn't have that buffer or anything holding me back and I just spiraled up and everything became the show. It was like blurring reality and I was having very emotional, crying thinking about this opportunity and then getting very happy thinking about basically a typical manic episode if you were to check off the Mm -hmm. the points. So basically I was just saying stuff on Twitter. I was, people knew it wasn't like this was a hidden thing, at least if you followed me on Twitter. Were you sleeping? Not much. Four, maybe four hours. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was a thing like, you're not sleeping. And my friends called the, the police to check on me. I got detained at Starbucks. Because did you tweet something about a gun? Is that what happened? Well, y- yes. And I didn't have a gun. And I'm not violent towards me. 
or anybody else. That was in response to people calling me, oh, Brody, I'm scared for you. What's going on? And I was, I knew what was happening. I was aware, like, okay, I'm on some kind of bender. I, I, I'm, I need a break. I need to chill because everyone's coming down on me. What's wrong? What's wrong? And I was probably acting odd. I was off my meds. Mm-hmm. I was on an antibiotic. I went cold turkey. So I was guide people would call me too. What's wrong with you? What's wrong? Oh, I'm fine. This and that. And then that's why I, I went on. I was. Again, no, no judgment. I was just out of it. I went on Twitter. I go, stop bugging me. I got a gun. I think I said gun in my mouth, which uh, you just can't. Never had a gun. Never thought about it. But again, I wasn't censoring myself. Mm-hmm. And Do that- you remember what your thought process, if you had one, was when you tweeted that? I was just cranking out tweets. You know, I just wasn't censoring, mm-hmm. you know, just boom, boom, boom. I mean, that happens on stage sometimes when you're... I guess when you go into that red zone, you, I mean, even last night I yelled at somebody in a funny way, but he, he, I didn't know because I was saying stuff that, I mean, today, not saying it shocked me, but it was pretty reaching going after CAA or any kind of comedian that looked at me the wrong way. And this was just building up because I hosted TMZ. I did well on it. And when I came back from this trip from Montreal and Dublin, People were just saying, like, you're not being yourself. And I go, I feel good. Nobody said anything. You haven't seen me for a while. And plus, I was told, have a good time. Celebrate. So I was, like, told to take a victory lap. Enjoy it. I've got the show going on. And in combination with me going off meds, which you're not – you read about it, and maybe some people don't know. But you just can't do it fast like that with no Mm -hmm. doctor supervision and – Throw in, throw in an antibiotic and alcohol. I, yeah, alcohol could prob- cause a problem. Marijuana and also the stress, whether it's subconscious or not, of yeah, hosting TMZ, having a show, having to do five more episodes. So I think all of that just led to this, you know, typical textbook manic episode Mm. and so then basically i they they brought me to the hospital so who came to pick you up lapd (laughs) they uh they called the cops on me my friends i mean they set it up basically when i was acting weird and i mentioned the gun stuff that my friends really started watching me just kind of keeping a close eye Mm. and the people they were talking to doctors and people that nature said you got to take them into a hospital. You can't have this. He's going to get in trouble. It's going to hurt somebody. And I was having, yeah, I was yelling at people. I was being, I don't know if I was being aggressive with my car, but I could see how people get in trouble. You read about, you do, I've done research since, you read about that. So they stepped in. They were, and basically, when I, I, act, I mentioned a gun and joking, but in passing, but even beyond that, I think they were set to, like, let's get this guy in. And when they came into my apartment, I was showering, and there was, like, eight LAPD officers and these guys from the the mental health division, and they were just kind of, like, egging me on a little bit. They weren't very nice. The uh, The officers, the other ones that I ran into, checked on me when I, when I first was showing signs, they were actually – understanding they listened to me oh so they had already been out lapd yeah and then 
couple days later, I was at Starbucks, and I acted up, yelled at a guy, and then the barista called the cops. So that was the second time. It was, so that was two days in a row. Mm-hmm. So I kind of already knew how these how the cops worked. And I've never, ever had any issue you know, with the police officer. This is a whole new thing. Right. And um, when they came to Starbucks, they handcuffed me. I was handcuffed wow. right out there on uh, cold water in Ventura. But I was so out of it and in such a happy mood, which I was, unless you didn't agree with me. If you, I was happy. And if you were not happy towards me, I'd call you on it. Mm-hmm. And that's just, you know, not normal. Is there a part of you, though, that – like, do you feel like that is a part of you that just normally is suppressed with – or that you keep in check with the medication? Or do you feel like it was this other side of you that you don't really relate to coming out? I never saw that side of me. I never, ever thought that, wow, if I don't – I'm talking about like years ago. If I, I, I'm going to lead – I'm going to end up in a hospital or – I don't like myself. I, I didn't have any, you know, thoughts that made me think like, oh, my life is going to end bad. It was a complete surprise to me. I mean, I literally went from being on top of the world, hosting TMZ, doing shows at UCB, Montreal, Ireland. I was doing well. And, I mean, that ev- even that, I just did not expect for me to end up where I ended. But I guess I mean the part where you said that it was like you were happy unless someone didn't agree with you and then it was like like the kind of like you're with me or you're against me, that yeah. sort of thing. I was kind of like that, yeah, and which isn't normal. I mean, like I said, I walked into Starbucks and saw a guy there. I was waiting for my iced coffee and he was over sitting at a table by the, uh, you know, the coffee bar there and I had similar color shoes on. And like pointed at his shoes. Hey, we got similar shoes. He had a headset on or something. And then he had a Dodger cap on and I had a Dodger shirt on. So I kind of like pointed that out and he kind of gestured to me. I'm on the phone. Like, I go, you're on the phone. I'm being nice. Yeah. How dare you? You're a jerk. I mean, yelling <laughs> in Starbucks. And, you know, that set off the uh, obviously scared the barista and probably everybody else in there. And then. Ten minutes later, you hear the sirens, and I kind of knew, had an idea what was going to happen based off what happened the night before. Cops come into my house, so they handcuffed me. And The night before, what did they come for? The, the, I was just my friend saying, can you check on this guy? Do you kn- and you know which friends it was, right? I have an idea. I, I do know who was involved in that. There was a, a bunch of – there was an email chain going around. <laughs> But there were a few names that I know who stepped in, and at the time it did bother me. I felt like it didn't didn't have to go that route. Looking back on it, it was probably not. I guess some would say the best for me. I knew something was up. I would have might have been happy with just going on a vacation and letting me just get it out of my system, and maybe go back on them or do some therapy or think about what happened or where I was going, but. Nobody really knew, but the doctors they were speaking to said, you got to get this guy help. So I didn't fight it. Like when the cops came that final time, I didn't go, I'm not going. Mm. So you said the, the cops were nice, but the mental health people were not? 
Well, the third the third round of right. police, these guys weren't very nice. Like I felt like the and I don't know if they knew. Like okay, this guy's been causing problems the last couple of days, but he came in with kind of an attitude and recorded sticking a tape recorder in my face and you know just being ironically TMZ esque. Yeah, exactly. And it was uh, yeah, it was like I feel they were like like pushing my buttons holding my arm, mm. agitating me. And I, I said, look, I'll go to the hospital. I'm not fighting that. I've been on a, a a little run here that needs to end. Okay, can I at least go out with my clothes on? And he goes, I don't touch guys' clothes. I go, I just have a fresh load of laundry. So can I put some underwear on? And he, and he, and he called you my- You were totally f- naked? Yeah. You were in a towel? I was or? in a towel. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Handcuffed. Jesus. In my own apartment. Everybody in the in the whole complex is out there. Co- there's like seven cops. There's a couple mental health officials taking notes. And the officer just like was like not nice to me really. Just kind of like with a smirk on his face almost. And the other two were like way too serious. And I said, look, I work at Chelsea lately. I'm a, I, 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 I goofed up with my meds. I'm not doing anything wrong. They're like checking for weapons and everything. I go, look at my posters. <laughs> and so I go, I'll go. Posters of Just like, like shows and stuff? Yeah, like mm-hmm. the celebrities I've been with. You know, he's a good guy. So they – he wouldn't give me underwear. But one of my friends who was like part of the uh, the watch team for me – came in, they said, let him get his underwear. So he gave me the underwear, put it on. I go, all right, can I have some shoes? And he, like, had the officer, like, kicked the shoes to me, like, moved them with his foot towards me, and I kicked the shoes. I go, fuck you. And they go, that's it. You're 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 done. You're going right now. Meaning, like, handcuff out on a, on a uh, restraints. Like, they restrained my arms, took me out on a... Uh, on a gurney in front oh, wow. of everybody, the whole street. And then he was taking me out, and he's like there, and I was just home like, you know, fuck you. You're a fucking prick. You don't like Jewish people. I made fun of how he looked. And he was just like smirking. I just let him have it. I mean, I was out of it too. Mm-hmm. But he was that – that was an example of somebody not being nice to me, and I would just go off on him, which isn't good, right, healthy – all those things included. And when I got to the, you know, they put me in like a holding center. They're waiting for a bed at UCLA. And I had issues there because they treat you like a pay, a number. You're not a patient. You're not a guy not a like. human. Right. It's not like, oh, you made this mistake. You went off your meds. You goofed up. It's like they're like afraid of you. Here's your tray of food. We don't have a cell for you. You got to sit on the wood benches and sleep with these psychotic guys, crazy homeless ladies, lactating guys taking dumps in the in the hallway. And it's like, I go, can I? I said, can I make? I forget what I was saying. Can you at least tell me what's going on? That's all I want to know. They like wouldn't tell me. Oh, so you didn't really you no. didn't know what was happening. They just like were not. Very forthcoming with information. Treat me like these freaking. There were weirdos there. Let's be honest, crazy folks. I mean, were you in a psych ward? 
Or this was a psych ward, but this was uh, this was UCLA Torrance Harbor area. UCLA, the campus, the main hospital. They had to wait a day or two to get a bed available. Mm-hmm. I guess Britney Spears had to check up. <laughs> but so, but I was upset in that place, and I. The guys, the 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 ones who bothered me the most were these uh, doctors, these these kid doctors who were UCLA students, and they were learning, you know, on the on the job or whatever, and they were like afraid or again not talking to me. I go, I'm fine. I went off my meds. I went to Arizona State. I hosted. T- Google me. Go on the computer. I'm a regular guy. I just goofed up, and they never. You know, never gave, never nice to me. They weren't nice. And then the head doctor said, do you mind if you, uh, if I interview you or talk to you in front of all the other students? I get, yeah. So he brings me in his, the room and uh, starts asking me questions. Yeah, like go for it? Or yeah, you mind? No, I don't mind. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, I'll go in there. It's stage time. <laughs> so I'm sitting there and it's an older Asian guy and he's asking me quite very serious and then I started – forget exactly what it was, but I basically worked the room like an audience <laughs> warm-up guy. Where are you from? What do you do? So I found out like where these guys were from, what high school they went to. And so after the meeting, nothing really happened. It was just a, a – gen- a, a general? A general. <laughs> and so I remember one of the guys was like being not cool to me. And I go, I know where you went to high school. I'll find you. You went to this high school. I know you did. So I'll just go, I know how old you are. I'll find where you live because you're a prick to me. So I was doing that kind of stuff and trying to scare people. I mean, was I going to physically attack? No. Was I going to go to his house and flatten tires or something? I wanted to, but I don't think I would carry through on that mm-hmm. so that's where i was at and then the, the, you know i was like they started giving me meds like to mellow out they started well take this and i well, all right you know they start giving you the meds and then i went to ucla same kind of thing meds you're just a number and i was butting heads with these d- nurses there and the orderlies and they were being not nice to me and then they shifted me to intensive care, and they were jerks to me over there, threatening me with shots. If you don't calm down, I go, I'm fine. You're being rude to me. What was it that would have made you calm, quote unquote, calm down in that scenario? Was it if they had treated you with compassion? I think so. Treated me more like, okay, you know. They did later on when I proved to them I was. Normal, you know, after four or five days, they shifted me over to the addiction wing. There's like three wings there for in, on the fourth floor at, at UCLA, Ronald Reagan Center. And each floor specializes in a different, each wing specializes in different, you know, mental mm-hmm. he- health issues. So anyway, the third one I went to was addiction, and, and that one's just a little more mellow. I mean, intensive care was intense. The first one is like... They throw everybody in there and just wasn't jiving. And then when I went to the addiction, it was much better. And they left me alone. And the and at that point, I was more, you know, the meds were probably kicking in and I could have a normal conversation with the nurses there. And they knew, like, what I was going through and what all that stuff. And they never, 
you know, they never forced me to, oh, you have to do arts and crafts. You need to do this. <laughs> they never did that. They just left me alone. And they were very nice to me. Mm-hmm. And, and most of the other uh, patients, it was mostly females, actually, or like had the pill issues. They were nice to me. So, I mean, it wasn't torture. I, I, was, I mean, it was actually nice to be off the Internet. It was nice not having to answer emails and, you know, just being unplugged. So, but the, I, I thought I'd only be there for three days, and then three days turned into nine days, and then I had a meeting with the, they, you know, they'll have a meeting with the doctor, and so I had this meeting, and I was going to see, oh, maybe, they don't tell you when you're going to get out. They go, well, we'll see. So I go in the meeting, and he goes, can you, you promise me you're not going to cause problems at Starbucks anymore? <laughs> I go, yeah, I'm good. So the meeting ended or what, you know, and then he comes back or they come back and they go, they want you to stay here for another seven days or another 72 hours. I go, oh. So I went on a, I went on a hunger strike. I go, F that. I'm not eating. I was pissed because mm. I felt like I've done everything in the last whatever week or so to show that I'm fine or I'm getting where I can go. So that upset me. I went on a one-meal hunger strike. <laughs> and then after that, I just kind of stayed in there, and they and they put me on these meds, and then you get out when I got out. And at that point, I had to find a new apartment because I got kicked out of my – I wasn't evicted, but they said you should probably move. Mm-hmm. It caused uh, scared children there. <laughs> so I had to do that, and they're putting you on – put me on new meds. Antipsychotic like Seroquel, which just knocked me out. I was taking the highest dosage of Seroquel, which is an antipsychotic. People take it's it's got street value, and people take it for sleeping mostly. And I was taking, I think it was six hundred or eight hundred milligrams, the highest. And I would sleep for 14 hours like a log. I mean, literally in another world. Mm. And then I was on Depakote, which is like a lithium, and I took the highest of that. That was like 1,600 milligrams, the highest. So I was really a zombie. And I was always able to do my stand-up. I was able to kind of get back out on stage slowly and then get back into warm up, and then your body acts different because you're on these meds. And then I went through a depression. You know what goes up comes down. So I know it was a long story, but that's kind of that's that's what happened. So getting tying that into the show real quick. When I was in the hospital, we were in there, and it's like. Why don't we just make this a part of the show? If you're comfortable doing it. Nobody made me force anything. And I said, well, you know, I was on Twitter. A lot of people know. And then my friends would come and visit me and make me feel like it's not so bad. And then you start hearing it's kind of cool. It's kind of rock and roll. It's mysterious. (laughs) So then I was in the hospital. I just started writing and coming up with ideas because HBO, they said, you know, they didn't take the show away from me. They say, take your time. Don't worry about anything. So I took my time and relaxed, but I was just thinking of these ideas. Why don't we make it where I get out of this, get out of this hospital, get my life together, kind of. And I have a, 
I would I worked at Chelsea lately. I was the audience warm up there, and I left on bad terms maybe a year prior to all this. And that kind of bothered me. Mm-hmm. I, that was weighing on me. So when I was in the hospital and these things were coming out of my head like, okay, I want – I hadn't done stand-up on TV for about seven years. So, again, I had to come up with a little story outline that people can relate, you know, with story outline. And then within that, have these activities or animation or whatever within the show. So it was, okay, I'm in the hospital. And I'm trying to get back on TV. I want to get back on Conan. So I want to go, I want to get on Conan. So it was all about... Reconciling with Chelsea because I had a problem with Chelsea Handler. So I had a thing with Chelsea. I took some acting classes because my whole thing is like, Zach, I want to be in the campaign. I should be in it. I'm coming down to New Orleans. Get me in. I'm taking acting classes. So we had that. And then it was like, well, you know what? Why don't you try improv? Okay. And I would try improv and then we'd film that. And then Zach goes, what do you want? What do you want to be? And I said, I don't know, I'm a baseball player or whatever. And then we did like a baseball. So we just covered all these things. And then it ended up with me. You know, I'd be doing stand-up. And I got – I did Conan. And my mom and my sister was there. And uh, I did it. And that was the end of the, basically the end of the series. So I went from the pilot. Everything's great. Woo! I'm back with my mom. Everyone's happy. My sister. And then it's like it fades to black. And the next thing, it just gets dangerous. It gets dark. And I remember when they're editing it the first time, they go, this is TV. These guys are saying, that's TV, that whole – you know, they got a lot of footage of me in the middle of these this episode I was having. But again, they never forced it on me. They go, you sure you want to do this because, you know, you're letting people into your life. And I also so- – I showed – uh, my sessions with my psychologist. Again, I'm a comedian. I talk about a lot of stuff, not on purpose, just naturally being myself. People seem to connect with it, and I'm comfortable for the most part. So I, I just worked. I worked all that into the show. I, 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 I kept, I kept the story as real as I can make make it, and then also have fun, add some fun and some animation and some goofiness, but. The theme of going the uh, the you know the hospital to Conan, I was you know pretty happy how he came up with that. So mm-hmm. that's that story. What was <laughs> um, what happened with Chelsea? Well, I was the audience warm up there at Chelsea lately for three years, about four hundred shows, and I started doing that probably around two thousand six. Maybe 2007, I had worked at Fox Sports for a long time, Best Damn Sports Show, did a 1,000 audience warm-ups there. That's where I cut my teeth out here. So that was from 2001 to 2006, and that show faded away, and a lot of the crew guys went over to Chelsea. So after a few months of them being at Chelsea, a couple of my friends said, hey, I think they're looking for a warm-up to you know, get something going, something different in here. And I knew Chelsea had done shows with her, so I had a relationship with her, but not super close, but enough where she knew me, and I knew a few of the writers over there, and I knew a few of the crew guys. So I came in there, and I, I they gave me a couple dates, and I did pretty good, and they started giving me more dates, and then with each date, I started getting obviously more comfortable and 
doing my music and cranking up the audience and then the audiences were growing and the show was getting tighter and I just stayed there and I enjoyed it and we it was a, it was a good gig it was hard but I enjoyed it basically for the most part and I had a couple run-ins of course typical stuff nothing major and then this one day um you know, I was. It was like a special day, and the crew guys were giving me a hard time. Nothing malicious. They'd always mm-hmm. goof with me. But today, it was a Saturday. Chelsea was ho- hosting some award show, so it was kind of weird being in the studio on a Saturday. It was dead. We usually we share it. We shared it with Hulu and G Four Network, and there's usually activity going on. So it was kind of dead. But I still got to warm up the crowd. I mean, I I have a job to do, and that's what I do. And I couldn't warm them up. The sound wasn't on properly, the mic. And I said, you know what? Just play the music. I'll be back in a few minutes. I had like eight minutes left. So I said, play the music. So I step out in the hallway. And it's dead. There's nothing going on except a few producers hanging out there. So I go up to one of the producers who happens to book a lot of the comedians. I said, you know, they're bugging me out there. It's like I'm trying to warm them up. And these guys are just like getting on my nerves. And, And then he goes, what do you want me to do about it? I go, nothing. I'm just telling you. And he goes, well, you need to tell your superior, something like that. I go, I don't even know who my superior is. So he's kind of like, don't bug me. Mm-hmm. This isn't, why are you telling me? Why are you yelling at me? But you I, weren't yelling at him, right? You were just I was. Him? I was slightly venting, but I'm also coming from inside a studio where I'm trying to put out 100% energy and then you step out of the studio and you shut the door and you're in a quiet hallway, yeah, maybe you're going to be a little loud or a little right. amped up. And he it's like was, when you're listening to music with your headphones and then you talk too loud. Yeah, exactly. So he was kind of like not very nice. Not very, I, I thought he would be more understanding. And I never, ever in 400 shows had any – thing really happened like that to the point where I said, guys, play the music. I'm going to go take a break. I'll be back in five minutes. Really never. So, and I, I, I go down, I use the restroom, another producer runs down. What happened? What happened there? I go, nothing. They're just annoying me in the, in the studio and I was venting to so-and-so. And he goes, all right, don't worry about it. Just do the rest of the show. So I did the rest of the show. It was fine. And then in between shows, I saw the producer again, and he was kind of not cool about it, saying I was unprofessional. I interrupted a conversation. It's like, I've been here 400 shows. One time I come out to say something, and you're going to be kind of, you're going to be not kind, you're a prick to me? Right. Okay. I'm not asking you to change, but now I know how you are. And I do extra on this show. You know, I, 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 I don't, I don't have to push the comedians. I can just do my stand-up, warm him up, and then tuck in behind the bleachers and watch the show. But I do more. I stay on top, and I push, and I put my energy out. So he, so he goes, you know, just go back and go out there and do the warm-up for the second show. Go out there. I go, okay. I go, I do more than just warm-up. I've been in a couple movies. Thank you. And I knew also that I had the HBO show with Zach in my back pocket. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of like ready to fly the coop a little bit anyway. So I go back in there for the second show. Everything seemed to settle down from the first one. I warm them up. They're ready to go. And, yeah, I'm in a bad mood. I'm feeling this guy 
you know, you have to be in a good mood to do audience warm up. You have to be. Or else what happens? Well, I mean, the audience won't, they'll quit on you. They, they, they won't give it up. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, the crew, everybody, you have to be, yes. Hello. Welcome to the Allison Rosen show. Woo. If, but if you're like, I need that. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're like mad uh, and not in a good mood and you got things on your mind, but I, I'm usually able to like, Put that aside. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you got to be in a good mood. If somebody comes down on you, like a producer or somebody's a jerk to you when you're doing your job, yeah, I shut down. I'm a comedian. I get – it's like I, I don't just give it up. Yeah, in a way, I mean, that's – you're not supposed to fuck with talent right before they have to perform. Yeah. But the thing is when your audience warm-up, last to be hired, first to be fired, you're in that – Weird area where, well, are you crew or are you talent? They know you well. So, look, it's mostly positives with it. But this particular thing, I went in there and I warmed up the crowd. And then I said, you know what? I'm not going to give them any extra. I'm going to prove to them and me a little bit to show you my energy, how I feel, dictates a lot of this show. So I warmed them up. They're good. Different audience. I tuck in for a segment, nothing, bomb, 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 because I'm not back there mm-hmm. with my arms pushing, ch- getting them in a rhythm. It's not, I'm not supposed. That's extra. Other right. shows don't have that guy. <clears throat> um, uh, just, just so I can picture it, when you would do that, where do you stand? Behind the cameras and in front of the second half mm-hmm. of the audience. So the cameras like in the middle. I'm like right behind the camera. Right. So the audience knows that like there's someone kind of orchestrated that they have to be like accountable to a to little someone bit, watching yeah. them if you're there. Yeah, but it's a fine line. You don't want to like come down on them hard. You could let them know you're disappointed. Like, guys, you could do better than that. And I'm only comparing it because I'm there every day. Yeah. They're not. So I try to you know, there's just a lot of tricks and I like I said, I've done a lot. I've done twenty five hundred audience warm ups. So there's a real a big whole group mentality, and it's a it's a balance, and uh, it's a great learning experience. But I just shut down that day, and they they tanked. They did bad. Mm-hmm. The, the the people on the panel who normally do well. So after the show, I went upstairs, and I just got blasted by the uh, the two producers. And oh, you quit on the show. You you know you're in freaking trouble. F you know you want to f and quit. Like slam the door. Just didn't even hear my side of the story. And then the guy, uh, they're just like they were like all off, not on the same page. So anyways, like bugging me, I go. And there was like there was a holiday party that night. I go, I'll show them. I'm not going to go to that party because I was popular at the show. Everyone liked me. Mm. And I go, I'm not going to go to that party. And then my agent said, You got to go to the party. Just go. So I go to the party, and like within five minutes, I'm at Chelsea's table. And Chelsea goes, oh, I heard you had a little problem today at work. And I go, yeah, I, yeah, I butted heads with so-and-so. I don't want to you know, talk about it later, I guess. Well, we'll talk about it on Monday. And mm-hmm. it just didn't feel like something good was going to happen. Right. And the way people were treating me at the party, almost like saying goodbye to me, I felt like, I go, you know what? I'm not going to let them. I'm not going to let them fire me. F them. I quit. At I the made party, that in my head. Yeah, I said. I mean, I'll, I'll sleep on it, and then. So I woke up the next day. I think we had a day off, and I went back in, and like I went in early, 
and I just walked to the head guy. I go, I can't, I can't work here anymore. I gotta go. They go, okay, fine, bye. Just like that, very dismissive. Who do we get? And then you know they got another. You know, I moved on, and it bothered me. Would they have? Do you think they were going to fire you? I don't know because I ha- I've had problems there in the past, but these problems were. I'm there every day on the floor, every single day. And when you start putting, for example, VIPs in the in the prime seats, like when you rope off four seats, for example, family members, VIP, maybe a media guy, and I warm up the audience for 10 or 15 minutes, they're hot and ready to go, and then you get four people walking in on their cell phones <laughs> or like acting like they belong there, they sit down. So the whole crowd's distracted. Who are these people? Mm-hmm. Why Why did they just mosey on in? Then those four people barely laugh because they feel like they're better. They mm-hmm. feel like, oh, we know everybody. We don't need to laugh. It happens. That's a common VIP guest energy. Mm-hmm. And so when they don't clap and laugh and they're not – putting that exciting energy, everyone around them doesn't do it. So it just permeates. And who's responsible to get the crowd going and laughing? Me. And I get stressed and doesn't feel good when I can't do my job the way it should be done. And it can get mentioned on the show, like, why is the crowd dead? Or we can't hear them very well. Or can you get them going a little more? So... You know, I, I and I, I, I and the guy. So one time, I get pulled in the office, and the guy goes, oh, "We're getting a lot of complaints. To the VIPs, you're being too hard on them." I go, "They're sitting there like bumps on the log. They're bringing the whole crowd down." I said, "Why don't you just put them in the front row where nobody can see them, and I can't, I, where I can't see them?" Okay, they changed it. Never a problem again. So. Because of that, and one other time, there was a guy there. Like, I could pick out the guy sitting there, not bringing energy, and I do a lot of crowd work. I go, you're from Europe, right? I can tell. And he goes, yeah. I go, okay, all right. Well, you might want to bring a little energy. He's just like, in the crowd, we've only got 100 people. Every clap matters. Mm -hmm. Every laugh laugh and clap matters. So I do the rest of the show. It's fine. And then a few months later, like, I'm in Bangkok. Or where was I? No, I wasn't. But... I saw the article later. But I was Chelsea brought me in. She goes, uh, I just want to bring to attention, you know, the guy you, you – he, she got – the guy that I yelled at was a writer for the London Times, and he was doing a piece on Chelsea for the London Times. And the piece came out a couple weeks later or whatever, and the whole first paragraph was, was this guy ripping me apart, saying that I was some big guy and he used some British term and – Telling the audience to clap and when to laugh, and it's like he was basically describing me doing the warm job. up. Yeah, yeah. And so because of that and the VIP stuff, I just felt like I was gonna. I, I just didn't want to get. I just felt like that I did not want to get fired over that. Mm-hmm. I, I you I don't get fired. You know, if you're gonna fire me, I'm going to. I mean, life is. You do get fired in life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been. I've been fired from things, but I also feel like I've been fired unfairly for a lot of things. But that's life. That's life. But, and I'm not bitter. It might sound like I am, but 
Yeah, I got fired at a restaurant one time, and I, it was it was wrong. What happened? Rip Torn, you know the actor. Mm-hmm. He was there with his family. It was a Sunday brunch. I he ordered the eggs Benedict, and he complained that it was Canadian bacon as opposed to regular bacon, something like that. I think it's supposed to be made with Canadian bacon. Okay, then it was regular oh. bacon, and I already had given him a free mimosa. Because it was ripped torn, like sometimes they oh it's a celebrity give him a little mm-hmm. give him a free thing oh on the house, so I'm giving him that and then I come over he's there with his family his grandchildren his daughter, some other people and then I'm I go over there and he goes and he goes this is fucking he cursed but he wasn't he was not that rude he was kind of like an old guy cursing right. like you don't get that mad at him he was kind of funny like this has fucking bacon in it. And, and um, but he ate it. He right. ate it, and he was like kind of joking with me. So I finished the table; everything was fine. And then, like the next day, I guess his daughter came in, or she she's a regular. She was on a Broadway show, so they would come in. This is in New York, and I think she complained about me, said something that I was too friendly or too whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And so the manager who I never worked for, he was the nighttime guy, brought me downstairs, and he, and they, he fired me. Mm. I go, fired? I've never had one complaint here. One time I get fired over that? No. I, want, I go, I want to talk to the owner, this French guy. So, Because I, I never had any problems. I was a nice guy. So I was upset, and I was already thinking, you're going to fire me? I'm going to cause problems. You know, maybe I was bipolar. Um, <laughs> so I, I talked to my right, the manager that I work with and the other guys. They couldn't believe it. So basically he went to bat for me and I wasn't fired. But I, I worked a little bit longer. But I've been fired from a couple warm-up gigs. And deservingly, no. But that's just the way it goes sometimes. You know, I remember I, I worked on Zach's show. Zach Galifianakis had a talk show. I was friends with him. I was doing warm-up every day at Best Damn Sports Show. Zach gets a talk show at VH1. Why don't you come in and do warm-up? I'm doing warm-up. Half the audience I know because they go to the Best Damn Sports Show. A lot of these audiences, they bounce around, the groups, Mm -hmm. the high schools, the colleges, whatever. So I'm talking to them, and the head, one of the producers sees what I'm doing. He goes, this guy's like yelling at the crowd. Like, why is he talking to them like that? And I got fired. Does the crowd ever mind? Like, do they feel like they're being yelled at? Not many, sometimes, but no. They generally like me, mm-hmm. but I have, but they deserve it. <laughs> I mean, I, again, I, I'm there every day. I'm not just like all of a sudden, you guys suck. I could close my eyes. There's a real like decibel level. And also, I'm aware when we've got more girls and guys or big guys. I mean, I'm just looking for effort, you know, to clap. That's just effort. Laugh is natural. So all I say is like the laughing, a rhythm, find the funny. And when you do laugh, because it's a TV show, a little louder and extend it and give support for these guys. And then the energy, the clapping, that's just effort. That's just pride as a human. And I go, I'm, I'm busting here. I don't make that much money. I'm, I'm from the valley. I'm not some rich. They all think you're rich or you're successful. I go, I'm not. So if I'm busting here, you better. And a lot of times now it's just kind of instead of putting them on, getting mad at the audience on the mic, I'll just kind of make 
eye contact with them. But as I've gotten older, I've gotten better at warm-up, more relaxed. And then people know me a little more because I've done – I've been on TV more. Mm-hmm. So they also know me, which helps too. Question. You seem, I know I've been talking a lot. No, and now I want to say thank you. That's, you're, that's what you're supposed to do. Imagine oh, okay. if you came on and talked not at all. What a boring podcast that would be. Oh, I've been on be. those. Oh, I've been on those. You have? No. Nah, most let me talk. In this but this room? is like a lot this... of... No, not in this room. <laughs> well, okay, question. Well, maybe once or twice. In- question. Um, you seem like someone who, and I am like this as well, goes through... Li- goes through life like very aware of every exchange you have and just aware of what's going on around you, aware of how you're being treated, aware of how people feel, et cetera, versus people who – there are people who go through life just kind of in a cocoon, not really aware. So if someone wasn't nice to them, it, they might not care because they're just not really like plugged in in that way. It's a two-part question. Would you agree with that assessment of you and have you always been that way? Well, I've always been sensitive. I'm a nice guy. I've always been like a, a nice person, I think. And I and I, I, I feel like growing up, I was taken advantage of for being nice. It's not normal. Kids are cruel. I'm a nice guy. And then some kids would be not nice to me. And that bothered me. Like, why are you mean to me? I'm not mean to you. So. Were you bullied? I, I would say. I mean, probably not bullied more than. Others, but I played sports, divorced family, in the Valley, Jewish, public school, non-bar mitzvahed. You know, yeah, I was around. It was like a prison yard. <laughs> so it was, you know, I, I heard, you know, I got picked on probably because I was a nice guy, but also probably because these guys had their own issues. Kids mm. pick on kids. Kids are awful. But I also feel that. A lot of okay. I'm Jewish, for example. Maybe if I was more Jewish, went to a bar mitzvah, went to a a Jewish private school, or I mean, I don't know. Maybe I would have. That's I didn't. I didn't follow any religion or spiritual path. Kind of just lived. Do you wish you had? Like, do you feel like that would have given you a community? Is that what you're? Thinking. Yeah, I think I I think, and I don't want to, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I just sometimes think like, why was I in those situations where I was susceptible to being teased or whatever? And I also think it's because you you mean because because see, I grew up in a very blonde, blue eyed, uh, athletic environment, and I very much felt like I didn't fit in. Is that what you're saying? Like you felt like you just were in a situation where you were different? Yeah. Well. More so in college because I had that same same thing. I played baseball. I went to Arizona State University. Jewish, dark hair, baseball, Arizona State, Aryan, you know. Mm-hmm. So that was a whole nother thing because after high school, I oh, this is ends. All the bullying. Now we go to college. It got worse. Ugh. So, again, it wasn't necessarily malicious, but it got old. It was yeah. It was like... You know, it didn't help. My, it didn't help my confidence. I mean, like, what in what kind of was it name calling or was it? You know, mostly like Jew stuff, big nose, Jew, goofy, gay, um, goofy, gay, Jewish, nose, looks, stuff that just didn't give me confidence. And I'm right. thinking, like, you're yeah. saying things that women don't like, I guess, and they're not like coming up to me. 
So a combination of maybe the, that I don't smile enough or I didn't. Wait, was then, this women saying this? No, these are guys. Pretty much guys. Okay. So it just didn't help my confidence. And it carried over to college somewhat. I, I mean, not that I didn't. I, I mean, I didn't have a serious girlfriend, but I dated girls and hung out and was active. Not so much in high school, but more so in college. But yeah, it got into my head and I'm, I am I am sensitive. So I think I answered one part. What was you had two, a two-parter? Is it two-part um, No, question? you answered both. Because, well, the, the, two, the parts were, is this an accurate assessment of you that you are sensitive and you said yes and then it was have you always been this way so yes yeah well I, I yeah i am sensitive i pick up on a lot of things i think when you're a comedian that's just a natural thing you observe you're always looking at stuff and things when you're looking at things and you're a comedian you're putting out that energy or in the back of your mind it's you just know hey i got a show tonight or sometimes things just come your way mm-hmm. they come your way so you got to be open to it Whereas if you're somebody who's who's not a performer and it has to do that nine to five cubicle thing, they're not. They're probably not open to that. They're they they're more, unfortunately, more blinded. Blinded or blinkered. I mean, blinkered, blinded. <laughs> but I have the same thing also with comedy. I get too focused on it, where it's mm-hmm. just all about comedy and not about enjoying life, not going on a not going on a vacation, not taking the time to join an online dating service not have uh, you done that i'm on i'm i need to i'd like to sign up with christian mingle no i'm kidding it's one of, <laughs> it's one of my jokes christian mingle but i i do you know and part of that is living alone like being a bachelor i'm 43 when you, and I, I recently broke my foot i was on crutches and i i needed help mm-hmm. i still need help i can see why men marry women in women marry men and there's i i get that to have kids that's a whole nother ball game because i could barely get through what i'm getting through now but i guess maybe if i had a wife or a girlfriend and it's a support team you got to have support and you know i don't have i don't have a huge family Mm -hmm. a sister which i don't get along we're we're similar sometimes when you're too similar you fight So I'm not making excuses, I, and I, I'm lucky that comedians and comedians are known for being weird, prickly, tough, whatever. I've been very lucky that the comedians both in L.A., especially L.A., New York, have been very supportive and nice. I like to say they are my family. I know it sounds corny, but, you know, these guys are. Who were the first comedians you fell in with where you felt like, oh, I found my people? Um. Well, I think every city is a little different. I started doing comedy up in Seattle. I'm from L.A., and I did a little bit of comedy here, like a workshop, but basically not. So I went up to Seattle, and I started up there, and, you know, there's a core group. Pretty much like wherever you go perform, there's a group, a class of comedians that every couple, three years graduate onto, you know, whatever the next thing is. So I would say Seattle had my core guys. Then I went to New York, and I didn't have any core guys. I kind of had to find my own, and it, it took a while. When mm-hmm. I went to New York, it's like these comedians were not nice to me. Did you go there without any – like you just went there to try to make your way in New York? Yeah, I always as a kid wanted to go to New York. I was just drawn to it. And 
I felt that I wasn't ready for Los Angeles. I wanted to experience other parts of the country, not not playing baseball. Mm. Played baseball. I was a regimented, non-creative world at the time. So I wanted to travel around. So I did Seattle. And then I said, I want to go to New York. And I had a friend that I grew up with who was actually coaching for the Yankees. So he said, why don't you come out here and we'll go to Yankee games and whatever and you then you can do your comedy also because I just knew New York was the mecca for stand-up and for creative, a character. People were telling me, go to New York, go to these the Lower East Side, the hipster scene. They, they really catered to that. So I went to New York and I just started being myself, doing what I learned along the way. But those first month couple months these comedians were tough on me not including me giving me a cold shoulder who is this guy you know i was in seattle two weeks before everyone liked me i played five years of college baseball i know i knew human nature i didn't get spooked out by oh you're gonna be jerked me f you i said just stay in the pocket keep being yourself because i went through that at arizona state having to win over new teammates and then mm-hmm. somewhat in, at, in Seattle. So I knew that. But so in New York, I went through, then I found my crew of guys. And then when I moved to Los Angeles after six years of doing comedy, I was just, I hit the ground running because I'm from here. I had a car and a place to stay. I knew where I was going. And I was meeting a lot of people in the business that I actually met in New York. So Mm -hmm. I had these guys working at these TV shows, friends of mine, and I'd send them tapes. They liked me, and they put a good word in for me. And I got uh, the Late Late Show with Craig Kilborn right out of the gate, stand-up on that. And then I did stand-up on Comedy Central Premium Blend. And that Premium Blend relationship was also in New York. And I did a couple shows in New York with Dave Chappelle, Mark Marin, Todd Berry, Janine Garofalo, UCB. And when I did those shows, a couple of them, I felt hosting them or whatever, I felt like, okay, I can hold my own. I'm not standing out like a sore thumb. And I was kind of ready to go back home. And I felt six years in, I, I, I found I found my voice in Seattle. I honed it in New York. And by the time I was done with that, I felt like I can go back to LA and have a marketable skill and see what happens. But I knew I had I you know, just wrote a list down of everybody I know and connections to L.A. And I grew up in L.A., mm. but it was a baseball valley thing. It wasn't, I wasn't involved in show business. So when I came out here, I just hit the ground running. So I had the premium blend spot. I got the, the Kilbourne spot. Then all of a sudden I got passed at all the clubs, the improv, the comedy store. Not not necessarily getting great spots, but I was getting passed at these places. And then after about six months Passed or, means booked? Yeah, you can call in your avails and mm-hmm. say that, hey, I'm in town. And they may or may not give you spots, but you let them know your availability. Right. So if you get passed. And um, after about six months or so, I got the job at Best Damn Sports Show. friend that I met through comedy, he said... He was working on some show, a sports comedy show. Just kept me informed on it. And then one Was that day, your first time doing audience warm-up? Yeah. I mean, I didn't even know that that job existed. So when he told me, called me one of the days, says, come on down to Fox. We're doing a test show. 
talk to the crowd. So I went down. There was like 40 people. And Tom Arnold was on the show and a couple other people. And I was excited. Wow, I'm on the Fox lot, and it's a sports show. Sports is in my blood. Getting to do comedy. They're going to pay me. Well, they paid me 100 bucks that day. They said, why don't you come back the next day? Came back the next day. And they go, you know what? We think we're going to use an audience. And then I just stayed there and just pushed it. And I and I, and I, I kind of gave up on auditioning and I gave up on traveling because – Okay, I'm getting paid, not much, but I'm getting paid. I get to stay in L.A., so I don't have to deal with crazy traveling. Um, I'm getting to meet heroes. I'm getting to meet every executive at Fox Sports. I'm getting to meet everyone's agent and managers. I'm just meeting everybody. I'm around it. So, But I had a schedule every day. So I didn't want to audition, and I didn't want to go – have to have a different route to work every day because warm-up is so focused on it. It's not easy. You can't just clock in. you got to mm-hmm. be ready to go. Part of that's being in the good mood too. And not having that stress of rushing there. So I needed to have, be on my regular schedule every day. If I was going to do something, I needed to be back home by like 11 in the morning so then I could go work out, eat, you know, get, in, get fired up. No pun intended. <laughs> but so that, that that's what uh, I and I did the warm up there for a long time and still did my comedy, but I didn't force it. I didn't feel like I got to get out there. I kind of listened to my body. So and I I just would do youth hostels. I would get to do festivals, but I just never pushed it. I just said, I'll try and be funny. And it's built up along the way. So. That's kind of where that came from. I, people always ask, like, what, you know, what's helped you the most? I, I honestly do think the audience warm-up. I cut my teeth mm-hmm. doing that. You're forced to do crowd work. You're forced to talk to all different kinds of people, all different cultures, all different ages, all military, rehab, high school, college, <clears throat> girls, kids, Everything, black, Persian, Armenian. So you just learn. You learn and you learn about body language and posture and how their energy, you can just feel it. It's a tangible thing. And I, and it's like when these, I, it's like when they're not bringing energy, things, bad things happen. Oh, they flub a line. A light goes out. So it's like I just, I, I am a believer in putting that out, creating that. And um, I have fun doing it, and uh, and it helps the shows. So it's like when I leave, I mean, I'm a comedian, so I get a kick out of being able to help these comedians. And I know, like, when I left Chelsea lately, these comedians would come up to me and they go, Brody, it's not the same. It's different. I'm not knocking the guy who replaced me, but it is different. It was different. And then it went to the bigger studio. Chelsea moved to, uh, you know, Universal. And they were there, what, a couple, three years maybe? But it's just still the guys come up to me, Brody, it's not the same. And now she's leaving. You know, it's like this is part of it when I tell these other comedians. You have to have pride but more a belief that you impacted somebody that went to another level. You You mean you tell other comedians who do warm-up? Well, I, I think people from 
even comedians. I have a unique situation that I get to meet everybody. For example, you, Michael Strahan from Michael and Kelly. Kelly. Michael Strahan was on Best Damn Sports Show where I worked a lot. I would constantly be talking to him, constantly. I'm not saying that, oh, I made him what he is, but I engaged him. Mm-hmm. I kept that crowd going. I talked to him during breaks. You know, Stephen A. Smith, who's a big sports basketball guy in ESPN, he was on the show all the time, gauged him, got him talking. They know me. I know Michael Irvin, NFL football player, Mike Goldberg, UFC, all these guys. I see what you're saying. So do I feel like I made their careers? Of course not. But if you pulled them aside and they saw me, it's a natural, like, they know. And then when I hear comedians come up to me, go, Brody, it makes so much difference. So you have to feel that and believe that. And I tell these other comedians when they'll say, like, well, I go to the improv. Nobody knows me there. And uh, I don't, you know, it's like I don't get on. I go, you know me. You got to walk into places knowing that you're connected. You have something to do with that. Might only be one percent. It may be zero, but I believe. I believe. And then when you hear comedians, or you hear, I mean, Mike Goldberg is UFC, very popular with Joe Rogan, and he comes up to me, and when I see him every so often, oh, Brody, you saved me on, uh, but you you really were there for me. It's like I remember that kind of stuff. That was on Best Damn Sports Show. Yeah, it was on Best Damn Sports Show. And I remember Jeff Dunham, the puppet guy. His career was not where it was. He was kind of in a – he was down like at the bottom. He came on Best Damn Sports Show, made about 10 appearances, making fun of the guys, the puppets. Again, some people rip on Jeff Dunham, puppets or whatever. I just focus – that's another thing. I would never ever, and to this day, still don't, be in the audience as a warm-up and I go, oh, I'm funnier than that guy. I should be up there. F them. Never have. I just – haven't you know it's so that's a good you know that's a good thing but what how do you not occasionally have that thought because i get an opportunity i feel like you're op- i think it's part of the baseball it's repetition it's it's being patient it's uh you know people certain people can tell you you're funny you know i'm not saying outside validation should define you but if somebody like, you know, an Adam Carolla would say, Brody, you're funny. You're, you're, you, you, you could be a good podcaster. That carries weight. That sticks with me. Mm-hmm. So it's something like that. Go, okay. You know, and then even once you – you have to take pride in what you do. People say I brag about the hangover. Oh, you're in the hangover. It's a joke that I brag about it. But it is kind of pretty cool that a guy from Reseda who drove a Pinto – wasn't bar mitzvahed, was in the number one R-rated comedy of all time and had a line in it and then was a part of a big famous scene. Is it the number one movie? Ted knocked it off, but at the time it was. Mm-hmm. So as corny as that sounds, I believe I had something to do with it. My energy, because that whole day they're going, Officer Fultz, Brody, yes, in a room about as big as this. And we did that taser scene where they taser him, Zach, in the face. I was there all day pushing those kids. So when I see that scene, I go, I feel like I had something to do with it. 
Just like I had something to do with Chelsea. Just like I had something to do with Best Damn Sports Show. Just like I have something to do with At Midnight right now. Am I writing the jokes? No. Am I creating... Yeah, I mean, I'm, it's an energy thing. That's all. I and, uh, um, and I question myself every day. I don't know. I mean, and same thing about my comedy. I'm getting better at it. I'm not the kind of guy go, was I funny? Was I funny? Is that good? Watch mm-hmm. my set. Watch my set. But I will step off stage in a semi-joking mood and talk to one guy there, maybe a door guy at the comedy store, and go, how was that? And they'll go, it was good. I go, all right, thank you. I should just, that was good? I should forget about it? Yeah. Okay, good. And then I move on. And I kind of forget about that. Um, but I know now, I, I just know now that I am doing better. But it was also something with my, at a half hour special on Comedy Central come out and a few months ago, six months ago maybe. And I was at, I would see Eddie Murphy get coffee every few, <laughs> once a week or every every day almost. And He'd like head nod me. He'd see me there. And then one time I told him I was a comedian. I never do that, but he was in line right behind me. So then I'd see him, a couple head nods. And then he asked me, came up to me, he goes, so uh, Brody, when's your show coming out? He asked me about my show. Oh, that's cool. I go, oh, Sunday nights. So then like a few weeks later, he stops me in the parking lot, rolls down his window because my special aired. My, the, my TV show was on Sunday nights, but the special, my half hour was on a Sunday night at the end. So he rolls down his window and goes, hey, man, uh, you know, I saw your your stand-up. I want to see if you were funny. And he goes, you were good. You were good, Brody. All right. It was like Eddie Murphy told me that. And and I, I said, you know what? Good good enough. Eddie Murphy, who's an icon, said my stand-up was funny. Good enough for me. Sometimes I only need like one guy that I respect. Mm-hmm. If it's Andrew Dice Clay or Louis C.K. or David Tell or Bill Burr. You, you just get one guy like that to say, you're good and you're doing the right thing. I mean, that, that's a shot in the arm. So those are, not, those are nice moments, but it, it just kind of like it, it feels good, but you can't live for that. But I'm starting to feel it more on my own. Start, I'm not looking for those. You're not looking for them as much like those compliments. You almost expect them. but uh, Right. Yeah, I, I, I'm 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 lucky. I, I I get to to do this stuff, and but also I have my you know fears. Everyone has fears, like what's going to happen next in the next few months, and then you pull yourself away. And this is part of the mental stuff and staying on your meds and doing therapy and realize that everybody has those thoughts. Well, that is a perfect segue to just me or everyone. Let's see if everyone has those thoughts. Okay. Sometimes I ponder on. Something I have thought or done Is it just me or everyone? All right. Dexter Wendell says, just me or everyone. Still writing 2013. No, I, I, I'm firmly writing 2014 at this point. What about you, Brody? Just me or everyone. So I'm, I'm 2014. Yeah. I, I like even numbers. I, 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 for some reason, I'm crushing it on 2014. Excellent. Gary? Um, you know. I, yeah. Okay. What does that mean? <laughs> that means that it, this is a true just him. I think we're all writing 2014 is what I think this yeah. means. I'm doing 2014. I wrote, two, I wrote 2015 the other day. 
I don't know why, but I, Mike, Lynch, Mike Lynch told me a joke a couple years ago, and ever since then I've, I've been good about this. He, he posted a t- joke on Twitter about I'm still carving 2009 <laughs> in my victims or whatever. And then the that. next year somebody wrote the exact same joke on Twitter, and he pointed it out and was bitching about it. And for some reason that forced me to every year in January, I just think about that joke over and over again, and I don't fuck it up. There you go, Dexter. Max Toller says, just me or everyone, I curse at and berate my pet cat constantly, but in a sing-song sweet tone. Well, that's going to be confusing to your cat, but no, I, I, don't, I don't do that. I don't have a cat, and I don't curse and berate dogs. I, lo- I love little doggies. I can get mad. Bad girl. Good little girl. Daisy's <laughs> a good girl. I just can't. I don't curse at them. No way. Yeah. Ashley Kirk says, just mirror everyone. When changing lanes, I feel accomplished if my tires miss the raised reflective markers on the highway. Oh, I think everyone enjoys that. That's fun. That's fun to do. It is fun. I don't think you should go out of your way to do it, but it's fun when it happens. Yeah. Janelle Zwarek Zwarek. says, anytime I see a mall carrier walk by, mail carrier... That makes more sense. Uh, anytime I see a mail carrier walk by, I always check out their calves to see how ripped they are. Oh, I don't do that, but maybe I should. I do that. Really? And not in a, not in a weird way. I just notice because they're usually wearing shorts. <clears throat> in fact, I saw a, a, a post person, and the guy had, like, Air Jordans on. You know, a lot of times they have the black. Right. You know, <clears throat> maybe a black tennis shoe, like a Reebok. But this guy had the full-on basketball pumps and everything. It's kind of impressive. Ashley Kinsty says, just mirror everyone. Feel the need to put on makeup before going to Ulta at the makeup store because I feel like I'm being judged by the people who work there. Well, I don't actually do that, but I can totally relate to that. But you want to go to a place like that fresh-faced because you're going to want to try on makeup. Okay. Or, or, you go, or you go light. You go light makeup yes. and you, just, you, you take a wipe, a facial wipe because you got, you're walking through the mall. Might exactly. want to look good where you going by. See, this Chico's. is like the debate when you go to a new hair person. Do you go with your full face of makeup or do you go with very little makeup? Because my concern is always that they'll, if I go with very little makeup, which is normally what I do, they'll look at me and they'll be like, oh, she's a real, like, natural gal. I'm like, no. I mean, I am, but I'm not. I just, mm-hmm. I just want, them to, I want them to really know who I am as if is somehow that, that'll affect the haircut. Is that a just chicks or everyone? Yeah, probably. Is, like, is it all I, chicks? That would have never occurred to me that that somehow what makeup you're wearing could have impact the kind of haircut you're about to get. Every actually, I I have this thought more often than not. Actually, like when Daniel and I were meeting with wedding vendors and stuff, I would be concerned that they would see how I was that they would somehow assess my aesthetics based on how I looked that day. I agree. Wow, that would never occur to me. Well, but as a woman, you've broadened, you've probably, broadened my horizons. It makes sense. It's not, I'm not it's sure not that how I don't, true it is, but I, I do don't have see that your logic. I've just that would never occur to me. Yeah, but, yeah. Thanks. Well, you're lucky. You're liberated from those kind of thoughts. Jackie I'm also says, a slob. "I feel like, but see, I am too. <laughs> if I feel like it causes me physical pain when I click on something and have to wait multiple seconds for it to open or load, yes." Absolutely. I do not have those two. Like if I'm on Twitter and people are posting links and it goes to something that I know is going to take me to a whole website, I don't want to go to it. Well, you know what I do lately is if I click on it and I see it's spinning to go there, I just turn the phone down. I won't even look at it. Yeah. I just see oh, – I, like, I flush it down the toilet. <laughs> I don't want to – yeah, I don't want to look at it. And then now 
on the mobile phones, everything you click, then it, it comes out. You have to X out of something. They get your. I the, know. The, you know, they figured out how to do ads on the mobile phone. And then the X on those mobile phones, they're so small. And then you end it's up. It's like a video game. Clicking the link. I know. Oh, yes. This is why I hate Instagram. <laughs> Because you have to like click on the Instagram link from the yeah. Twitter app and wait for it to load. I just won't even fuck that. So go to so you just go to Instagram. Yeah, if I want to see Instagram photos, I'll just use that app. But like a lot of times, somebody who's interesting who I don't necessarily follow on Instagram will tweet an Instagram picture, and I'm like, huh, I bet that's cool. And then I keep going with my I day. I find that it doesn't take that long to load. That one in particular, I find doesn't take that long to load. It takes too long for me because I got spoiled when it was like all integrated. Yeah. Oh, it, it it's not integrated anymore. No, now it just shows the link. Whereas, like, if you just tweet a TwitPic, it'll show up in your timeline. It's like yeah. the text and then the picture. But when Facebook bought Instagram, Facebook and Twitter got bitchy with each other, and they took that feature out. So the picture's no longer sitting there. You have to click on the link. Oh wow! I thought, well, on mine it looks like it sits there. I've I, but I use a, a different plat. I don't oh, use the Twitter go. app. I use Echo Phone. There, yep. There you go. There you go. Indeed. Maybe I should look into that. Joseph Leonardo says, I'm not happy with any drivers. Anyone driving slower than me is annoying, and anyone driving faster than me is a douche. Yes. I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> exactly. Johnny Primo says, I don't understand why shoehorns went out of style. You're right. It's been a while since I've seen a shoehorn. No. Nah, I don't I, think they went out of style. I, I think they're – have you been a Joseph A. Bank? I have not. Any any two uh, little suits for ninety nine bucks. Yeah, I mean, I think I think shoehorns are still around. Here. What about the long? Have you remember those long? Yeah. Shoe? Oh, is I, that I, what you? I see them every time I walk through a Nordstrom. Those may even go be more a, popular. Yeah, go into a go into a shoe department. Do you ever avail yourself of a shoehorn at sure. home? Absolutely. Really? I, I had shoes. one. Yeah. Shoehorns. It's kind of a cool cool feeling. Yeah, it is. It's nice. Tickles your it it mm-hmm. it supports your Achilles. I don't know. It's luxurious. Luxurious. I mean, it's kind of cool. They work. There sh- you know what there should be? There should be a shoehorn on a Swiss Army knife. <laughs> You'd have to like unfold it a lot. It'd be like origami. But that's something that could come in handy. That's useful. Trish says, believes meteorologists are full of shit and always wrong. I am skeptical of meteorologists because I, f- I find that, yeah, they're often wrong. Are you talking about weathermen? Yes. I, I, I think they're pretty good. Do they copy each other, like the ones here like, in L.A.? Like Dallas Rain says. Um, I don't know. I don't know where they get their information. I Yahoo? But, you know, they're pretty accurate now with the Doppler systems and the the radars. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to side with the weatherman. I'm proud, of, I'm proud of my meteorologist. You know what it is? I feel like if you there. look – like they know what's going to happen tomorrow. But sometimes they'll give you a 10-day forecast, and that can be wrong. Well, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, the 10-day is – I, I go with the five. But they're pretty good three days out, and I feel like that's – Three. I feel like I'm, I'm very comfortable. If, if you can tell me what's going on day after tomorrow, you're better, I'm better off than I was. I mean, here in California, you see this, and you can see where the storms are coming from out of Alaska. So they're coming here, and they know, okay, this is going to be here on Thursday. You see it. All right. It's but, just you, but it's okay. a tiny bit me, too. I was telling her. Um, all right, well, Brody Stevens, or Stephen Brody Stevens, thank you so much for doing my show. Allison, had a great time, and I appreciate you letting me rehash my story. Every time I tell it, it's getting tighter and tighter. You're really honing it. Honing it. I like that. I actually... All joking aside, you are getting better at telling it, because I heard you tell it a year or so ago on another podcast, and this was... You could tell you've tightened it up. Yeah, I'm working on it. I'm working on... You got the tags going. I like it. Thank you. 
And yet this was like we probably saw an entirely different side oh, no, of Brody he, he, than on other no, podcasts, right? No, he told right? certain parts of the story <laughs> that weren't included in that too. But it's, it's obvious that he's figured out where yeah. the pieces go. Figure out. I was spellbound, so. Yeah, well, yeah, I, you, I was very comfortable in here. I didn't feel like I was rushed and you were letting me, you know, let me do my, th- letting me go. And I, I felt like I kept it tight and I enunciated well. You did. I, I understood every word. All right, so tell people where they can go to find you. They can find me, Brody. I'm on Twitter. Brody is me friend, which is an homage to Tony and Mr. Lee, my busboys in New York City. Brody, you good guy, you me friend. They're Albanian <laughs> and, and Hong, Hong Kongian, respectively. So Brody is me friend, and it's also Brody is me friend on Instagram. So those are the two main ones, right? So Instagram and Twitter. I also have a Facebook fan page, Stephen Brody Stevens. And if you want to see me out on the road, I'm starting a big tour this May, May coming up very soon, May 1st or today's May 1st. May 5th. I'm going all over the country. San Francisco, Phoenix, Denver, Dallas, Houston, Boston, Detroit, New York, D.C., Chapel Hill, Atlanta, all over with the Funnier Die Road to Oddball Tour. So check that out. We're coming to a city near you one night only. Brody with Howard Kramer and my good friend Adam, Kate and Holland, and Funnier Die is sponsoring it. Will you be back by June 2nd? Because that's what I'm doing at midnight. You're doing at midnight? I'm doing at midnight. Yes. Mm-hmm. I will be I will be there. Okay, good. All right. And you can follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. You can follow the show's Twitter feed at ARIYMBF. You can follow Gary <clears throat> at G Patrick Smith. We have uh, a ringtone available. Hey, 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 go fuck yourself. You I need like this. It. You can get that by searching Hey Go Fuck Yourself on your iPhone in the iTunes store. And we just realized that you know, people have been asking us to do some matchmaking on the podcast. What better way than via the ringtone? Because if someone hears the ringtone and they also listen to the show, you know, then you'll live happily ever after or something. Uh, we have a special bonus episode available recorded live at the LA Podcast Festival with uh, Doug Benson and Matt Costa. You can get that to $1.99 in the comedy album section of the iTunes store. And if you're going to buy something on Amazon, click through the banner on my website, allisonrosen.com. It does not cost you anything extra, but it does help out the show a lot. Okay. Am I missing anything, Gary? I'm not missing anything. Thank you again so much, Brody, for doing the show. Allison, look forward to seeing you on June 2nd at midnight. I look forward to it. And thank you guys so much for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show?
Thanks for listening to the show, everyone. Just as a reminder, this episode is brought to you by Nono. To get your Nono and take advantage of the exclusive offer for my listeners, go to nonobestfriend.com or call 800-508-4815. That's nonobestfriend.com or call 800-508-4815.